All right, everyone. Welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James. I'm your host. And today is episode 28. Love that we're at 28. Love that the audience is growing. I love that you all are listening to the show. So today I'm going to talk about a really fun event that happened in my life about a week and a half ago. Um, And what happened was I had this great opportunity to go into my son's school and volunteer. Now, part of the perks of this job was that I was able to eat a school lunch with my son. And for once in my lifetime, for once in my lifetime, I was able to actually be the popular kid in the lunchroom. All of the other elementary school kids, all the other first graders wanted to sit by this adult that was eating with my son and wanted to talk to him, wanted to uh, just enjoy being in his company. So anytime you need an ego boost, just go volunteer in a an elementary school and uh, and enjoy eating lunch with the kids. It was a lot of fun. But I walked out of that experience with a pondering about the state of school lunches today. And they they have changed somewhat from when I was in school. It's been a while since I've had school lunch. And I could see that they were making strides and, and paying attention to making them more healthy. But I wanted to dive deeper into the history behind school lunch. Now, before I dive into that, I wanted to stop and take a quick moment to do a shout out to Idle Isle Cafe. Now, Idle Isle Cafe is a uh, restaurant in Brigham City, Utah, that I interviewed a few episodes back and uh, right before the holidays. So go back, check the show notes. You'll find the episode listing for Idle Isle Cafe. And during that episode, so during that interview, I absolutely love pie, like so deeply love it. Pie and fried chicken. Those are the two food items that I'm going to talk about more often than probably any other food item. And I've done dedicated episodes to both. But Idle Isle Cafe, they have this amazing Idleberry pie that they talked about, that Travis talked about on the podcast episode. And he made it sound so good. I had to drop everything that day and go up to try my very first Idleberry pie. Now, unfortunately, because of traffic and other events, I wasn't able to get there uh, until they had just barely closed. And so I just barely missed it. And I was so sad and so depressed. But um, I, you know, recently got engaged. And as an engagement present, my fiance got me an Idleberry pie. She knows me so well. <laughs> so, uh, Shout out to Jessica for getting me the pie. It was absolutely amazing. Um, Sometimes when I'm given a whole pie, I'll eat a slice and think, wow, that was good, but I don't want any more. And with this pie, I was being so stingy and so selfish with it. I didn't want anyone to even look at my pie. Uh, No one should ever touch another man's Idleberry pie. (laughs) So I absolutely enjoyed it. 
And uh, so I wanted to give them a shout out. If you are in the Utah area and you've never been to Idle Isle Cafe, it's worth the drive just for the pie. Idleberry pie is marionberry and blueberry mixed. You get the sweetness of the blueberries and the tartness from the marionberry, and it's just the perfect blend. Plus, don't even get me started on the flaky, thin pastry that just wraps it all up in a nice warm blanket. And uh, naturally, you have to heat it up and eat it with vanilla ice cream. It's basically a law with uh, fruit pies. So make sure you do that and enjoy it. It's absolutely amazing. So now I'm going to dive back into the school lunch situation that I found myself in. So I'm sitting in the cafeteria. It's a Friday, so it's pizza day. My son told me it's a good thing I picked Friday so that I could have a delicious pizza and breadstick. They also serve a bean burrito, which he told me to avoid because they vomit beans. And I assume that means that you take a bite and beans come out the bottom. I don't know. Uh, He's in first grade, so I guess he thinks that's funny. (laughs) I also think it's funny. I'll admit I, I did laugh pretty hard at that. So when I'm I went through the line, I got my tray, I got my pizza, I got my breadstick. The breadstick was definitely a whole grain breadstick. I couldn't tell if the crust on the pizza was whole grain. Then I made sure to get my chocolate milk. You need to have that chocolate milk. And then a fruit and a vegetable. And what I was noticing is that a lot of kids were throwing away their fruits and vegetables. Yeah, it was so easy to get them to eat the pizza. They all were eating the pizza. But it was really, you know, very few of them were diving into the fruits and vegetables. Now, naturally, I had to set the good example, and I had to be the one that was going to eat everything on the tray. So I made sure to do that. But, you know, it it really did get me thinking about the history of school lunch. And that's what I'm going to talk about right now. So sit back and enjoy. Now, school lunch like a lot of other federal programs and aid programs started as a charitable outreach by many private companies and sponsors. The first unofficial school lunch program started in 19, sorry, not 19, 1853 with the uh, children's aid charity. They opened their first industrial school for children living in poverty. And part of their mission and their charity was to provide school lunch to their students. And that hadn't really ever been done before. In 1894, Boston area high schools started serving nutritionally sound meals at affordable prices to children who wouldn't have otherwise had them. And that kickstarted similar programs in other major cities across the country. By the 1900s, school lunches were served to children in many cities across the countries, uh, in, across the country. And these meals, they were carefully prescribed by nutritionists at the time. They were developed to ensure that each student consumed the number of calories needed to maximize their learning potential. I wish that I knew the precise number of calories that I needed to maximize my intellectual abilities on a daily basis. That would be some pretty cool science. Uh, Now, school lunch, it still hadn't become incredibly widespread at this time. The tradition was that kids would go home for school lunch. Uh, Rural communities faced many challenges with, you know, sending their students home because it was often a long haul back home. 
and wasn't really feasible. So teachers would get creative and have a communal stew that they would cook on top of the stove used to heat the classroom. Now that's brilliant. That is making the best of a situation and making do with what you have. There were many limitations to school lunches in the early days. Most school buildings were just set up for classrooms. They lacked the infrastructure. They didn't have these massive cafeterias and professional kitchens that we take for granted in today's schools. Uh, slowly but surely that started to change. Uh, more schools were being constructed with dining halls. More schools were offering meals. In 1946, the federal government stepped in, like they always do with programs, and decided to get involved. They signed the National School Lunch Act into law. Now, this was the first act of Congress to make, uh, to federally back a school lunch program. When President Truman was signing it into law, he said, it's hereby declared to be the policy of Congress as a measure of national security to safeguard the health and well-being of the nation's children and to encourage the domestic consumption of nutritious agricultural commodities and other food by assisting the states through grants and aid and other means in providing an adequate supply of food and other facilities for the establishment maintenance, operation, and expansion of nonprofit school lunch programs. So this brings the government into the lunchroom. This is the first time the government gets involved, and hey, if they're funding it, then they get to prescribe the guidelines that go into the program. After it was signed, schools still struggled with a way to support it. They didn't magically add kitchens and dining halls overnight. These were still real constraints on the, pro on the program. However, many schools would turn to food service corporations who would make meals ahead of time and deliver them to the schools. The school lunch program is still a very popular federal program even today. It's right up there with Social Security. This is never going away. It has way too much public backing. And the program ensures that many students below the poverty level actually get a good meal. And in today's iteration of the program, they even get breakfast and lunch. And often if they're below enough, uh, below the poverty line enough, they don't have to pay for those meals. Now, sadly, this tends to be the only meal they might get in the day. Now, going back to the timeline with the government being involved, I'm going to go through some different uh, acts that were signed in in 1981, the Reagan administration cut school lunch funding by $1.5 billion, and they also controversially changed the nutritional requirements. This allowed some of the items like ketchup and relish to count as vegetables. And the side effect was that nutritional quality of the meals served in schools began to tink. And it made school lunch that classic battleground over money and funding. In 2010, the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act was signed, and this updated the school lunch system to where it is today. This brought the menus in line with current nutritional guidance with an emphasis on whole grains and vegetables like what I saw when I went to the school. And uh, there's also strict guidelines on what qualifies as whole grain. It has to be over 50% of its total weight in whole grains or have whole grain as the first ingredient on the package. 
and also what qualifies as a proper fruit or vegetable, as if we need to define those things. So I found a great article by Mental Floss highlighting uh, what school lunch was like through the decades. I've covered a lot of it up to 1950 from other sources that I found. So I'm going to start at 1950 and just roll through these. Um, In the 1950s, school lunches became a mix of hot and cold lunches. A lot of private companies are starting to realize the fantastic business opportunity they had on their hands, and they were starting to make a lot of money from it. The cold lunches had a variety of sandwiches and salads. The hot lunches were rich and heavy. You know, they had dishes like cheese, meatloaf, sausage, shortcake, ham and bean scallop, and orange coconut custard. Themed lunch boxes also started to become a thing where popular shows like Gunsmoke started appearing on lunch pails. And uh, along with that, I'm definitely going to have to find a recipe for the blog for sausage sausage shortcake. That definitely piqued my interest. It, It really sounds fascinating to me. In 1960, school districts started to centralize lunch production. Uh, Pizza, enchiladas, and chili con carne started appearing on school menus. Children that were still in need started receiving more attention. And in 1966, another one of these acts, another tweak, another iteration to the food lunch program, school lunch program, uh, President Johnson signed the Child Nutrition Act into law, and that expanded the school lunch program to reach even more students that were in need financially for those meals to help them qualify for them. In the 1970s, in 1979, the USDA, which controls the school lunch program, put out guidelines that dramatically weaken the nutritional quality of school lunches. Their directive was for school lunches to provide minimum nutritional value. During the 1970s, hamburgers, fried chicken, and buttered corn started to find their way onto school lunch menus, and that's uh, basically the fallout from the fast food industry. Those were popular menu items. That's what kids wanted to eat. That's what kids got at school. During the 1980s, Oscar Mayer, in an attempt to sell more bologna, uh, developed Lunchables. Some brilliant people developed Lunchables, and this is still a craze that kids love to eat today. This made cheap and low-quality nutrition readily available for the lunches kids brought from home. And other products like fruit roll-ups, handy snacks, Capri Sun also found their way into these sack lunches that were being brought from home. The same unhealthy pizza, chicken, uh, chicken nuggets, burgers, and fries remained staples on the school lunch menu. In the 90s, fast food companies actually found a way to get into the lunchroom. They found a way to get around the red tape. They had to pay a lot of money to do it. School districts loved it because they were they found a brand new source of funding. Hey, we can let McDonald's in because McDonald's is going to pay us a bunch of money. McDonald's loved it because it was free advertising. They could reach a population uh, and have dramatic influence over them and what they ate without having to try very hard for it. So McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Little Caesars, they all found their way into the lunchroom. In the 2000s, with obesity rates on the rise, people started to look at school nutrition and what was actually going on there in the cafeteria. 
Schools started to tweak their menus, but the changes were subtle. However, that did pave the way for the bigger changes that happened in 2010. So in 2010, the Obama administration signed the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, and this leads us right to where we are today. And I read in the news a few weeks ago that President Trump wants to again weaken the nutritional guidelines, undoing much of what the Obama administration put into place. Now, I talked extensively about the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act and what it means, an emphasis on whole grains, whole fruits, whole vegetables, better nutrition, nutritionally balanced meals. There's a lot of conflicting sources on that. What I observed in the lunchroom was that kids were throwing away their fruits and vegetables. However, this really does not surprise me. You know, the school lunch program, it's going to continue to change and evolve. And the direction that they will ultimately go remains to be seen. Even though the Obama administration made changes to the nutritional quality, you know, what I experienced wasn't necessarily what I would consider a healthy meal. I also, again, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can give kids veggies and fruits, but it's not going to do any good if they just throw them away. Now, what I've found as a parent is that it's all about marketing, right? If you want your kids to eat fruits and vegetables, you can't market them as fruits and vegetables. You need to hide them in the product that you're trying to feed them. So I get my son to eat a lot of vegetables by making him delicious soups that contain lots of vegetables. You know, schools need to be doing more of that. It doesn't mean that efforts to change should be abandoned, but they just need to get more creative in how they're implementing some of these guidelines. And ultimately, school districts, really, they, they need to step up and, and do this. Kids need and deserve uh, healthy, wholesome lunches. And healthy doesn't mean it can't be delicious, and it doesn't mean it can't be cheap. I eat very cheap when I cook for myself, and they're often very healthy meals. Uh, often less than what I would spend going, uh, going out for fast food. So uh, it just takes a little bit of effort and a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of know-how to make that all happen. So I hope you enjoyed what you heard today about the brief history on school lunch through the years. I'm going to end real quick with some school lunch facts. Um, so more than 30 million students participate in the National School Lunch Program annually. That's a lot of students. There are 5 billion lunches served annually through the program. And a lot of uh, uh, two-thirds of the kids that participate in that program receive a subsidy or a free lunch because of their income levels. So it's really helping a lot of kids make sure they have an actual meal to eat during the day. Students who eat a school lunch in the United States are twice as likely to have two or fewer servings of fruit in a given day. So, uh, again, an emphasis on <laughs> the meals are not nutritious. So it's not going to advertise that fruits and vegetables are, you know, something they want to eat. Only 20% of the budget a school receives for their lunch program comes from the federal government. Other uh, organizations and charities make up the cost and other sources of funding. The two most common items on a school lunch menu are, surprise, surprise, pizza and fried foods. School lunches are now age-specific. Portion sizes are determined by the age of the child eating the meal, not by uh, you know any other metric there. And federal regulations state that school lunches must be served between 
10 a.m. and 2 p.m. So there you go. School food and school lunches, that program is a $15 billion industry, which is incredible. That's why it's such a hot topic and a hot issue because money's involved and the government's involved. When you have money involved and when you have the government involved, you're going to have uh, a great source for debate. So again, hopefully you learned something. School lunches, it really does do a lot of good for kids, particularly kids in need. And there are even programs that I've been hearing about in, in my research and reading about that are expanding a program to cover a, a, a lunch that they can take home with them after school in case they aren't going to get dinner. And also to cover, you know, summertime if they aren't in school but are still low income and still need food. You know, keep in mind, the whole program, the whole school lunch program started from charities trying to feed impoverished children and kids that were going hungry. And it still accomplishes that mission to uh, a great extent today. And it's nice to see other charities stepping up and trying to expand that program and do even more. So again, curious to hear what your thoughts are on school lunch, curious to hear about some of your experiences, uh, let me know. Go to ToastyKettle.com. You can comment on the article. You can also just shout out on on social media, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at Toasty Kettle. I'd love to hear some of your experiences with school lunch. So make sure you hit me up and let me know. Again, if you like what you heard, make sure you tell a friend or a family member. It really does help grow the show. If you really like what you heard, make sure you go wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review. That's really going to help us out. Until next week. Until next week.